I want to introduce this from the beginning every week, and it means that we don't get particularly far. But I want you to understand, here's what we're going to be doing together. In the Old Testament, something's missing. Israel is failing over and over and over again. In fact, yesterday, in our men's prayer time, yesterday morning, we were reading in Nehemiah chapter 9. Don't, don't turn there now, but Nehemiah 9, if you can just remember, Nehemiah 9 and N. You just remember that later and look at it. It's, it's uh, 32-ish verses long. And in it, they have been brought back in. They were taken into captivity. And they have been brought back in. The temple has been built. The walls have been built. They're now living, quote-unquote, back in the promised land. But they're going to lament that while they're living in the promised land, they are not their own people. That they are living with the permission of other governments to do what they're doing. But if you read it, there's a long rehearsal of everything that God did to rescue them, to watch over them, to bring them in, to give them a good land, and how they ruined it. They ruined it over and over and over again. And then how God dealt with them justly and took them out of the land. And then God fulfilled the promise that He gave to them when He took them out of the land that He would restore them 70 years later. That time has come and they have now been restored. And basically, if you read the whole chapter, there has been a great deal of reading of the Word of God. In fact, if you read the whole book up to that point, there's been a great deal of, of assembling together reading the Word of God. In this chapter, it says that they read the Word of God for a quarter of the day. Now, if that means a quarter of the calendar, then that would be six hours. If it means a quarter of the light, that would still be for three hours. Now, how many of you are ready for me to do a three-hour message? You can go ahead and raise your hand. If you're, thank you, brother. Thank you. Good. I'll try to please. The rest of you will just have to endure now that they both raised their hand. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, they read for, and then it says, and then they confessed their sins for a quarter of the day. So for either six continuous hours they read and confessed, or for 12 continuous hours they read and confessed. It sounds really serious. What I mean by this is this. They really seem to be truly committed to what it is that they're doing. And they are. And they are. But at the end of it, at the very end of it, what they're going to say is this. If you look at the list, they're going to say that the kings and the princes and the prophets and the priests and the fathers, so that's all of their leadership has failed. But we're recommitting. And when you read this, you're encouraged that they would want to. And at the same time, you have to shake your head and say, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Jeremiah 31 already exists. Ask for the new covenant. So we have failed in the old covenant. We are not capable of doing our part. Remember, the old covenant is obey and be. Say it louder. Obey and be. Disobey and be. And so what had they earned? Now, by the way, if you read the chapter, it's full of mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. See, they don't, you can't earn mercy. You can earn curse, and they had. But in God's dealing with them, it says you are plenteous in mercy over 
and over. In fact, it's very clear, you are just in all of your actions toward us because we have not only failed, we have willingly, repeatedly failed. But we're going to do better. And you read, and I reread it. In fact, it was commented. Somebody else commented. I didn't make the comment. Somebody else commented, oh, that they hadn't said this. Oh, that they hadn't said this. If you go back to the first time that, 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 that the uh, covenant is given, if the very first time it's given, if you'll do these things, God will be with you and bless you. But if you violate these things, that same God will have to bring judgment into you. And what they should have said is, we know us. We can't sign up for this. Oh, that God would humble us all to understand you cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn a good standing with God. You cannot earn anything except for condemnation. And say, but, but, the new covenant says this. Here's the new covenant. I'll do everything. Trust me. I'll do everything. I'll do everything. What's wrong with Israel? And I said it last week and the week before that probably. What's wrong with Israel is what's wrong with Adam. It's what's wrong with insert your name there. I can't do this in my own strength. Praise God for the new covenant. The new covenant is not just about having your sins forgiven. It's not. The new covenant is about being a new creature. The new covenant is about God Almighty living inside you and enabling you from the inside to live a different life. I will write my law in your heart and in your mind. How will you do that, God? I will come and live within you myself. And I will be everything to you. And you will be what? My people. And you will be my people. Now, I would ask you, honestly, and and I'm not asking this for the sake of giving an invitation later. I'm asking you this so that you can enter into this with me. How many of you here this morning would say, honestly, I really truly know, not believe, not think, not might be, I know that I am born of God. I am a new creature. I am forgiven of my sins, and God has made me a new creature. How many of you would raise your hand and say that that's true? That's an awful lot. That's the vast majority of those of you that are here this morning. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you would confess at the same time you've spent way too much time trying to please God as a new creature in your own strength? Raise your hand if that's true for you. Yes. Now, would you rather enter into the promise that God has given. I will, one, we're going to look at it again this morning, forgive you your sins, and I will, two, be, make you a new creature. I will write my law into your hearts and minds, and I will be your God and you will be my people. Would you rather have that? Do you understand how much American Christianity needs this? Do you understand how much Christianity throughout the world needs to understand this? How much we need to be set free? Listen, you had to be set free from you to be saved. You're going to have to continue to be set free from you in order to grow the way God wants you to. And if you don't understand that, you will not grow. Now, here's the good news. If Jesus is your Savior, if you really are a new creature, then praise God you're going to heaven. But the walk between and there can be largely fruitless unless you abide in him. And abiding in him is not you choosing to do things that he wants you to do. It's literally drawing your source of nutrients and power from him. Amen? Yes or no? Take any plant out here, and in the, in the, we have some beautiful plants. Take any plant out of here and take one of the limbs out of the root and set it on the ground and see how well it does. 
If it does not have the source to draw from, it cannot bring forth what? Fruit. It is the fruit of who? The Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? That means God lives in you. And as Jesus promised to the young lady at the well, it will be a spring that is in you and comes out of you. Tell me that's not marvelous. Now, let me ask you this. Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you? Or are the works of the flesh what people see largely in your life? Now, if anybody thinks that the fruit of the Spirit is all that ever comes out of your life, I said last week, come see me for a minute and we'll talk. And I promise in five minutes I'll provoke you to such a degree that you might punch me. And then we'll know just how wonderful you're not. You understand what I'm saying? I will have removed any hope of you ever being simply by yourself capable of doing what God wants to do. But the promise of God is not simply a theory. It is very much a reality. And each and every one of you that is today a child of God. And by the way, those of you that are not, this promise is for you also. And I'm going to say this. This is really important. Do you want to know why many people do not come to God so that they can receive the promise of God? Because too many of the children of God are not walking in the promise themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what I mean by that. Too many people who are actually new creatures are so busy walking in their own strength that all the people around you can see is your strength. And it's unattractive. It's unattractive. And so they have no draw. The Holy Ghost says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive what? Power. When? When the comforter comes. When the promise comes comes. Yes, that's what he said just a few verses earlier. Wait, don't go anywhere. Wait for the promise of the Father, which is given in the Old Testament, which you have heard of me, which is given in the New Testament. Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to change everything. It is expedient for you that I leave. I should leave. I must leave. How can it be possible that Jesus leaving can be good for us? Not just good, important, necessary. How is that possible? Because he says, if I don't go and sit where I belong, I cannot send forth the Holy Ghost. But when I am sitting where I belong, when I'm seated at the right hand of the Father on high, I will send forth the Holy Ghost and he'll live inside you. Isn't that wonderful? And you, honestly, honestly, God dwelling around Israel in a cloud was marvelous. God dwelling with them as a human was Emmanuel, God with us. And it was better. But you know what's, and I know I say it a lot, but you know what's better than God dwelling with us? And the answer is God dwelling in us. That's the new covenant, praise God. That's the new covenant. Not that God would just come and dwell around us, with us, but that God would dwell in us. And guess what else he says? He promises this when he comes to live inside you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, Dr. Sells has pointed out, well, many have, but Dr. Sells is the one that I heard say it primarily, that that is a threefold negative. I, it's, this is the way you could say it. I will, listen, listen, listen to this promise. I will never, never Never leave you. Anybody ever, anybody ever behave themselves as a child of God in such a way that you think maybe God should just give up? 
Anybody want to raise their hand to that? I have behaved myself in such a way that if I were God, I would leave. Anybody raise, raise your hand again if that's true for you. If I were God, I would have left me at this point. Guess what? Praise God, he never will. You want to know why? Because God's not like you. He's not like you. That's what makes your salvation complete. The coming of the Christ brought the, the blood that gave forgiveness of sins. The coming of the Comforter is the Holy Ghost, which gives you a power to live the way you're supposed to. When you put those two things together, now you have a complete salvation. But it's all because of the Savior. If I, if I was to put it up on the screen, it would be a big block on the bottom that says Savior. And above that, it would say salvation. Amen? Your salvation is based upon your Savior. If the church is your Savior, God forbid, then that's the only thing you've got for a salvation. If the preacher is your Savior, then that's all you've got for a salvation. But if Jesus is your Savior, now you've got a complete salvation. And, and part of that complete salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And we're going to see that. That's the whole point of this study. That's the whole point of the study that we're embarking on. So this is the first um, slide of that. So the promise of the Father. Now I'm just going to go through. You'll see it says the promise made. The promise is made in Jeremiah. So John read Hebrews chapter 10. You say, what's Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10 repeats the promise that's given in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And I want us to see that together today. What I want you to understand is when we tell you that the Old Testament continually promises that God is going to change everything. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, he explains what that change is. And we're going to look at that together today. But that's the promise made. And, and, and then we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the promise is presented by God himself coming to earth, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Part of the promise of God is the forgiveness of sins. Part of the, you're going to see it. We're going to see it this morning. We're going to see, I will, I will forgive their sins. Well, in order for you to have your sins really forgiven, because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. So in order for your sins to actually be remitted, paid for, taken away, then somebody who can and is worthy is going to have to shed some blood that matters. Amen? And you've all heard the song, This is the Last Blood. Yeah? This is the last blood what? I'll ever need. This is the blood that counts. This is the blood that matters. And so what God, can, the Father can now do is this. He can take that blood. Boy, I tell you, this is a very simple thing. I remember when my wife had this explained to her as a young Christian. This is not how I heard it. By the time my wife, uh, before my wife and I were married, she got saved. And this is how it was explained to her. Now, I just have, I have a, a golf invitation here and a thank you card. But I'm just going to use these because they're just an object lesson. So I'm going to take this card right here. And it's going to be my life. And all the things that I've ever done wrong would be in it. It'd be a very big book. It'd be a very heavy book be a very terrible book. This is my life. And this is Jesus' life. And when Jesus laid down his life, he laid it down for you. For you. Individually. He laid it down for everyone. But he laid it down for everyone individually. So that to as many as what? Received him. So this is, this is what you need to do. Lord, this is my life. Would you take it? All the punishment that I deserve. And would you give me your life? And you know what Jesus said? Yes. In fact, that's what I did on the cross. 
I took your life and I paid for it. Now here, here's my righteousness. Hand this to my father when you get there. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that simple? And it is actually that simple. You just have to humble yourself enough to acknowledge my life is terrible. I am guilty. I do deserve wrath. And I need to be rescued from myself. And I cannot pay for it. By the way, let me say this. Your book looks like my book. You say, Pastor, Chuck, whatever you want to say, I'll help you with your sin. You can't help me with your sin, with my sin. You want to know why? Because you've got your own. Your blood, if you lay down your life to rescue me, you could rescue my physical life by giving your life. In fact, the Bible says that great men do that. They lay down their lives for somebody else. That's a wonderful thing to do. To lay down your physical life to rescue other people's lives is notable, it's admirable, and we honor it, and we should. But you can't take away my sin. Because you can't do anything about yours. And I just, honestly, I just want you to picture this. I want you to, man, I remember when I pictured this. Jesus could walk through this entire room and say, give me yours. Give me yours. Give me yours. Everybody give it to me. I'm going to go to the cross with this. And I'm going to pay for all of it. Yes? He that knew no sin, what's it say? Became sin. Became sin. What sin? Yours. Yours mine that we might be the righteousness of God that's pretty good stuff amen that's a complete salvation but he says I have completely paid for your sins and this is important this really it's a, it's a this is a, a term that shows up in your Bible there's a difference between expiation and propitiation. We're not going to do into great depth of study on this today. But I want you to just, expiation has in it the Greek word ek, to take away from is what it means. So here's what, expiation is this, the taking away of something. It's the taking away of something. But propitiation has the idea, pro is the word toward. So has, this is the difference, isn't it? Our sins have been taken away so that God can now walk towards us. Because before your sins are taken away, if God walks toward you, he must walk toward you in judgment. Because it's what you've earned. But the Son has taken away your sins so that the Father can now walk toward you in love. Because God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believed in him should not, what? Perish. See, when God walks towards a guilty sinner... All that he can do. And I, now listen, I knew this. I knew this before I said they didn't understand it, but I knew it before I say I was guilty. God was righteous and I needed to avoid him. Anybody else have that testimony? Did anybody else know you were guilty before you were saved? I knew I was guilty. I had no doubt about it. I had no doubt about the fact that, quote unquote, God was keeping score. In other words, he was a righteous judge and I was losing. And then there was nothing I was ever going to do that was going to be able to make up for what I had done wrong. And then all I could receive was, and I was amazed when someone told me that God was on my side. God's on your side. He can't be on my side. Ah, but he is. And then he started talking about Jesus. This is the demonstration that God is for you and not against you. How is God for you? But God commendeth or demonstrates or reveals or shows forth his love toward us and that while we were yet, who died for us? The Messiah. 
the promised one. Yes, the promised one. That's part of the promise. The promise is presented in the Gospels. The promise is accomplished. Again, we're not, we're not going to look at it today. We just don't have time to look at it today. The promise is accomplished in the book of Acts. If you go to the book of Acts, what you'll find in the book of Acts is that at the very beginning of it, we realize, John and I were talking about this the other day, John James and I were talking about this the other day. If you go to the beginning of the book, of the literal beginning of the book of Acts, you'll find that somebody says, there was something that I wrote before that had a specific purpose, and I'm writing this now, and this has a specific purpose. Does anybody know who the human author is of those two writings? Anybody? Raise your hand if you know. It's Luke, right? It's Luke. So in Luke, we see the Christ come to pay for our sins. In the book of Acts, we see the Christ that came, promised to send forth, and then in Acts chapter 2, we see the sending forth of the Comforter. Amen? Yes or no? Honestly, yes or no? Here's the truth. The promise of the Old Testament, as we've already seen in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is that I am going to pay for your sins. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And I'm going to give you a new heart and a new mind. I'm going to write my law in your heart and mind. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Amen? So in the Gospels, we see the Christ. In the book of Acts, we see the Comforter. And then lastly, the last part of the this, of this study that we're going to do is it starting in John. In John, excuse me, not John, in Romans. In Romans, the book of Romans. So I want you to picture this with me. Now, John, Acts, and Romans. And they are in that order in your Bible. In John, we're going to see the Christ, and we're going to see the Christ promise the Comforter. In Acts, we're going to see the Comforter and the difference the Comforter makes in the lives of the children of God. And then in Romans, God's going to say, let me explain what happened. Let me explain what's going on. Let me tell you what I have done and what I'm doing and what I'm going to do. Isn't that wonderful? And so that's going to be the study. The study is the Christ, the Comforter, the complete salvation, and all of this is the promise of God. Now, last week, we looked at this, and I'm just going to turn, you just look at them, you don't even really have time to write them down. We went to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. We may turn there today, uh, but I don't want you to turn there right now. But you'll, actually, you can turn there. Just turn there quickly. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Turn to Jeremiah 31, please. I want you to notice this because what I want you to do is I want you to see this in the book of Hebrews. This same passage, the same promise. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I'm going to read it. I'm just going to draw your attention to a couple points. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Notice who the new covenant is with. What does it say? What does it say? I will make a new covenant with the who? House of Israel. So this is the Hebrews with the house of Judah. This is, this is very clearly with the Hebrews. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So that's back in Exodus. Which my covenant they break, though I was a husband, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward 
hearts and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least unto the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So what you'll notice is the phrase at the very end is the forgiveness of sins. Up in verse 33, we see God putting his law in their inward parts, writing them in their hearts. And then in, and also in verse 33, we see him being their God or our God, and they shall be my people. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? Yes. But what you see in verse 34 at the beginning of it, and it says, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. Have you ever seen this? And the answer is you have not. This has not been fulfilled yet. This part of the promise has not been fulfilled yet. Why? Do you want to know why? Because Israel is going to reject their Messiah. They are not going to enter into the covenant. They are, listen to me, listen to me, this is important. Do Hebrews enter into the new covenant? Yes or no? Do any Hebrews enter into the new covenant? Yes or no? Yeah, Peter is a Hebrew, right? Right? Paul is a Hebrew. So do Hebrews enter into the new covenant? Yes or no? Did the nation enter into the covenant? In fact, so much no that this is what they said. Away with him. Crucify him. His blood be upon us, our heads, and upon who? Our children. We will be responsible for his death. And so will our children. And they are. And they are. And so they have rejected it. And so this has not been fulfilled. Now, let me ask you this question. Will this part of the promise be fulfilled? Yes or no? Do we have biblical evidence that it will be fulfilled? And the answer is yes. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Or just wait, because in a while, we'll get there in our study. But it's very clear that eventually they will see him whom they have pierced. They will receive their Messiah. And they will then be the witnesses they are intended to be. I really, truly believe with all of my heart, according to this promise right here, that they are going to be such witnesses that the church has not yet reached out the way that Israel is going to when they're saved. I mean that. As much as God has used the church throughout the world to preach the gospel as missionaries, to go all over the world and to give the gospel, when the Jews receive their Messiah, they're going to do a better job than we've done. I really believe that. I believe this passage makes it very clear. And everybody will know who God is. Everybody will know who Jesus is. And praise God for that. Amen? But it doesn't change the promise. Nor does it change the power of the promise. To his, Because he says this, He came unto His own and his own what received him not so they didn't receive the promise so this can't happen to them but to as many as received him to them gave he the promise is fulfilled and guess who it's been fulfilled in me me can anybody else say that here honestly this morning the promise has been fulfilled in i received jesus and this promise has been fulfilled in me amen I have, I have received Christ and my sins are forgiven and God has written his law in my heart and in my mind. Yes, the Holy Ghost has come and he lives inside me and he has changed absolutely everything. Amen? Yes or no? Isn't that better than religion? Don't you, honestly, honestly, maybe you're here this morning and you have gone to church a great deal, but you have never understood the power Holy Ghost that lives within you. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of confusion about the power of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost is not confusing. 
The power of the Holy Ghost is to change your heart and mind to be God-like. Amen? In other words, that you would walk the way God would have you to walk. The things that God wanted out of the nation of Israel, that the nation of Israel was incapable of accomplishing, you and I can accomplish that because God lives in us instead. And that's just wonderful. And that's what we're going to see. So that's what we're going to find. This is the promise. I will forgive their iniquity. I will put my law in their hearts. And I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. All of this is in Jeremiah. Now, it is my intention, and I, and I am aware of the time. And I, and I know I said this at the beginning. Listen, if you're here, if you're here, if this is the first time you've come, I think we have some first-time visitors here. If you're here and this is the first time, I am going to have to say to you, come back and listen to the rest of this message next week. Because we're not going to get all the way through this now. But we're not going to get all the way through this because I really feel it's important to go back and lay that foundation again. I think it's important because I do not think that, I think many of you as you're hearing this only hear, yeah, something about a better covenant, something about a new way of doing things. No, no, this is the promise. I've been watching Sam nod his head up and down as I've been preaching. And the reason that that's encouraging to me is I can almost sense that Sam is going with me before I say what I'm saying. Now, what's really remarkable about this is Sam, because of the illness that he has had, has not even been able to be here with us the vast majority of the time. But this is a marvelous difference between what we've all been raised on and what Jesus wants to do in our lives. This is all the difference in the world. We have been so used to almost an Old Testament version of the New Testament. But we're not supposed to be used to it. We're not supposed to be used to it. You are not supposed to please God with your efforts. You're supposed to trust God to change your life. Amen? Without faith, it is in... You are not pleasing God with your efforts. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God? Trust Him. You want your life to change? Trust Him. You want to love your wife? You want to love your husband? You want to love your kids? Trust Him. You want to be the person you're supposed to be at work? Trust Him. He's able to do all of that. And you're not. And you're not. And why have we failed? Because we keep being told from these places to do it. Because if you go to the average Christian bookstore, you'll get another how-to book instead of how great Jesus is book. And it's time that the children of God started trusting their God. With all, lean upon him with all of their weight. And, rec- and by the way, I'm not talking about a better form of, of religion. I'm talking about the truth of the promise. That the Holy Ghost lives within you and has changed you. And we're entering into it. We really are. And it's marvelous to watch. And it's marvelous. By the way, we're not doing it quickly. We're not doing it quickly. We had a conversation this morning. Mitch and I had a conversation. Mitch started it. He started a conversation this morning. He asked me a specific question, why haven't we blah, blah, blah. And I said, Mitch, why haven't we blah, 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 or blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. All of which you're responsible for. Amen? And this is why I say that, because we are not going quickly. I do believe we could move quicker. But you know what it would take to move quicker? You want to know what it would take to move quicker? Denying yourself. That was almost absent of anything. I don't think anybody even breathed after I said that. It's really, remar- it's really remarkable how it, it really is. It's remarkable to me that when you talk to the children of God about the forgiveness of Jesus, everybody says amen. But when you talk about the fact that now that you've been forgiven and you are a new creature, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Stop living unto your own will and do what he would have you to do. Silence. 
Yeah, isn't it amazing? So here's the problem, Adam, and I'm just talking to every one of you. In you, that is in your flesh, there dwelleth no good thing, and you do not like. It, the Bible's very clear about this. The Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit. Do you know what that means? Do you want, first, you have to understand the word lust. Do you know what the word lust means? By the word, the lust simply means this, to have strong desire. That's what it means. It says the flesh lusts against the spirit. And here's how that goes. The flesh says to the Holy Spirit, which lives inside the child of God, I'm still in charge. I'm still in charge. And then the passage says, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And praise God for that. Do you know what that means? That means that when your flesh behaves itself like it does, and it stands up and says, I am going to do what I want to do, that the Holy Ghost stands up inside you, praise God, and says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because that would be a terrible salvation if I let you continue to be in charge. Tell me that's not wonderful. But that's a warfare that goes on. Why does the Bible say you must daily, what does it say? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow Him. Because if you don't, your flesh will say, ha, 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 one more day I get to ruin this person's life. Suck. One more day you'll do what I want to do. And it doesn't have to be that. Sin no longer has dominion over the child of God. Unless you let it. And then it will. Because whoever you submit yourself to, he is your master. Yes? Yes or no? If you don't know, just wait, because we get to the book of Romans and study this clearly. You're going to understand just exactly how powerful the Holy Ghost is. But let me, this is, listen, I'm going to say this. It may be the last thing I say this morning. God will never force you to do anything. Sometimes I wish he would. Sometimes I wish God would force me to do a thing. Now, I'm not saying that God can't work in your life in such a way that you want to, right? As a, as a song that a friend of mine wrote, or like Jonah, you'll find out the hard, hard way. God can make you want to do something that you're telling him you're not going to do. He can make you do that, but he'll never make you do anything. You'd be so well. You, listen, I've been watching. Gage is pretty active in the text group circle that, 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 that he's in, that I'm in. And I hope it's real. I really hope it's real. If it's real, then praise God for what God is doing in Gage's life. Your life, listen to me, listen to me. All of you young people, I promise you, your life would be so much better if you'd get out of your way. Listen to me, not so young people. So would yours. Your life would be so much better if you'd enter into the promise. And that is that Jesus has fully forgiven you your sins so that he can live inside you and give you a better life. Amen? And we love the forgiveness of sins part. But we're not so happy about the God living in us so that we can have a better life part because it means you can't sit on the throne anymore. You, and guess what? You can't sit on the throne anymore. How many of you think you're a good king? You know, there's a handful of you in here that are very public about what a lousy king you are. But the rest of you should be just as public about it as they are. Because you're just as lousy a king as they are. You are not good. Jesus is good, right? Jesus, I mean, again, you say, oh, that just sounds like you're just saying. What did Jesus say? The man came to him and he said, good master. Yes? And Jesus said to him, what was his response? Why callest thou me good? There is none good, but who? God. 
Now, the truth is, Jesus is God, and so he could call him good, but he doesn't know that yet. But the truth is, you're not good. This bothers you. I know it does. But it will set you free if you'll be honest about it. You're not good. I'm not good. Jesus is good. And a full salvation is you understanding that every single day. All day, every day. I'm not good. I'm not great. I'm not able. I'm not anything. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the Holy Ghost that lives inside me. Thank God for the power of God living in me to rescue me daily from me. Praise God. Amen. And by the way, I mean this with all my heart. I'm watching this happen in many of your lives. As I said before, it's not happening as quickly as it could, but you want to know, this is why. Let's just take seven days. Let's just take seven days. I'm going to pick seven days. Uh, Gage, I already already picked on you, so um, I won't pick on you too. I'm going to pick on Andrew, my son Andrew. I just got to be—I got to be careful. Gage invited me to his tech circle, so he asked for it. Okay. <laughs> Plus, I complimented him. So let's say Andrew, my son Andrew. I was going to pick a different Andrew, but then I chose not to. In seven days, in one week, and, now, and again, every one of you has to answer this for yourself. How many of those days do you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him? Now, I'm dieting right now. And many of you have noticed and you've pointed out, Patrick, you've lost a lot of weight. I have lost a lot of weight. You want, you want to know what it takes to lose a lot of weight? Anybody want to guess? Diet and exercise. Do you want to know how often it takes diet and exercise? Too often is the answer. Do you want to know? Listen, listen. Do you want to know how much work it is to lose two pounds? Anybody else losing weight? Anybody else trying to lose weight? Do you know how much, how, much, how much effort it is to lose two pounds? Do you know how much effort it is to gain those same two pounds? Three Krispy Kreme donuts. Actually, that's not true. Three Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not a favor. I don't like Krispy Kreme. I had three Dunkin' Donuts one day for breakfast. Gained two pounds. Gain, uh, this is important. It's a spiritual lesson, okay? It took me a week to lose those two pounds. It took me three donuts to gain them all back. If you don't deny yourself, evil happens faster than you wish it would. Selfishness happens w- faster than you. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm talking about being a new creature. As a new creature, if you walk after the flesh, it gets ugly really quickly. It gets ugly. Real- your service goes down for God. Your annoyance with your family goes up immediately. Your annoyance with everybody around you, that's annoying. And by the way, when you're walking after the flesh, that's everybody. Yes? No? Maybe some of you are just better people than I am. I don't know. When I'm walking after the flesh, almost everything annoys me. But when I'm walking after the Spirit, listen, I've said this to my wife a number of times, and whenever things are hard, I'll say, I'm thankful that the Holy Ghost is not having a hard time with this. Tell me that's not wonderful. I'm thankful that the Holy Ghost in me is not having a hard time with this because I'm having a hard time with this. And so I'm going to have to what? Deny myself. Recognize that, praise God, I'm dead. And follow Him. Get my, be rooted and grounded in Him. Um, the other day, April Bradley uh, posted some things about roots, bitterness. I think it was one of the things that she posted about. And then, and then I sent out a verse of like five verses that just came immediately to my mind, and they all had the word root in them. It matters what you're rooted in. 
It matters what you're rooted in. Listen to me. It matters what you're rooted in. The soil you are planted in, where your branch is, it matters where you're rooted. Does anybody, I, I do not understand botany. I'm not a horticulturalist. Does anybody understand that some flowers don't grow in the shade? Some flowers don't grow in the sunshine. Some flowers won't glow, grow in uh, um, acidic soil, right? Some, some flowers won't grow in soil that is full of a base. Does anybody understand that? I don't understand it. Do you understand that? Good for you. I don't understand that. But here's what I do know. You can plant a lot of things and they'll die if you don't know where to plant them. Amen? It matters where you're rooted. And we can be, and by the way, these are two of the verses that the Lord had me to post. We can be rooted in Christ. We can be rooted and grounded in love, which by the way is grounded, rooted and grounded in Christ. Or we can be rooted in the world, and we can be rooted in bitterness. There are a lot of things. We don't have time. That's a completely different message. But I'm telling you, the, 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 when, it, when we see turning into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 18, which we'll come back to next week. It says this. Listen, look, look, it's up there, right? It says, <laughs> I come to do thy will, oh my God. Who said that? Jesus. How much of it? How much of it did he come to do? How committed to it was he? Honestly. Uh, you know what? When you leave today, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. What Adam didn't do, the last Adam or the second man, praise God, he did do. He came to do the will of the Father. And he did it all day, every day, in his heart. And it came out in his life. And then he took that life and traded it with you. But you know, want to know what? You want to know why that blood? This is in the context of the passage we're looking at. You want to know why that blood counts? Because he came to do the will of God. And he did it. And you know what that means he has? That means he has a perfect, this is remarkable. He has a perfect life. He has a perfect life. He has a clean account. He has, the, he has the praise. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He has that. And then you know what he says? Here's what I'm going to do with that. I'm going to trade it with Jim. I'm going to trade it with Ronnie. Ronnie, here, you can have well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I will have, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Tell me that's not awesome. Tell me that's not marvelous. And now, let me ask you this. Should it change the way you live this week? Can it change the way you live this week? Oh, it can. It surely can. Here's what I've come to realize, and I mean this all in my heart. I could have tried to persuade you with all kinds of religious effort to get you to change you. But if I can get you to see how great Jesus is, that will change you. Because he alone can change you. And by the way, he's the only one I want to change you. I do not want the deacons to change you. I do not want the bishops to change you. I do not want the church to change you. I want Jesus to change you. Because any other change is an incomplete, non-lasting change. Anybody ever been to a tent meeting? Well, we have tent meetings. I'm not finding out tent meetings. Anybody ever been to a revival or a tent meeting or anything like that where the preaching is such and such and such and such and then they sing just as I am for three hours and a whole bunch of people come forward and two weeks after that there's nothing? Anybody been to any of those? 
You want to know why there's nothing? Because the preacher did everything. The preacher did it and the people did it. But when Jesus does it, it changes things. So if you say, well, my life's not changed like it's supposed to, then you just answered your own question. Either your parents or the preacher or teacher or principal or somebody else changed life, but Jesus didn't. Because when Jesus changes it, praise God, it changes. Amen? Now, it is possible to walk after the flesh. And again, I'm not, I need to be done. I'm telling you from experience, it is possible to be right doctrinally and wrong in your walk. Yes? It's possible to be able to argue with everybody else in here about every point of doctrine that you want to prove from your Bible and have no peace at all. No peace. Not only no peace, but no power. You want to know why? Because you don't have the Prince of Peace. And you don't have the power of the Holy Ghost. And they only come from one place. And that's from God himself. So, the good news is, next week we'll come right to this slide. Number one, I come to do thy will, O oh my God. We will give no introduction to the message. We'll just start there. Uh, somebody make a note of that. Tell me that next week. <laughs> I, hope this did, I hope this was not... I really mean this. I, can't, I, I cannot tell you... I, can, I cannot tell you how excited I am about what God is doing and what God is wanting to do. And I, cannot, I also cannot express to you how aware I am of how... Um, how easy it would be to try to accomplish this in my own strength. But let's let God make the difference in our lives. All of us. All of us. Again, it goes back to the conversation that Mitch and I had earlier. We're not going quickly. We're not going quickly. But that's because God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. God wants to do a very real, deep, meaningful, lasting work in every one of our lives. And he is perfectly willing to tear down before he builds up. Is anybody aware that you have built some garbage on your plot? Right? Only one foundation can be laid, and that's Christ. And if you've built on it, that which shouldn't have been built on it, let him tear it down. And let something else be built in its place. Amen? Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for what you're really clearly trying to show us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You have come to do the will of the Father. Thank you that as the, re- the passage that was read, which we didn't get a chance to look at extensively yet, but it's very clear just in the reading of it that you have put away the first, that you might bring in the second. And that this new covenant literally changes everything. And we live now, we are thousands of years into that covenant, and yet the vast majority of your children are still trying in their own strength to please you. Lord, bless us that we would give up on this, that we would not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that we would be full of genuine rejoicing and we would seek to simply walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.